How's it going? How's it going? And welcome to From the Sidelines. My name is Josh Duvall, and I'm here with Chad Davis and Devin Davis. We've got an insane interview today with MLB All-Star and Dodgers pitcher Ross Stripling. So be sure to follow him on Instagram at Ross underscore Stripling. That's Stripling with only one P, not two. And on Twitter at Ross Stripling. So special thanks for him to coming uh, for coming on. Also, follow his podcast. He, it's called Big Swing Podcast. So go follow that. And while you're at it, follow us at the FTS Pod on Twitter and on Instagram at FTS Pod. And with any comments, questions, concerns, just want to say hey, you know, email us at theftspod at gmail.com. Let's get it rolling. All right, we're now pleased to be joined by Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Ross Stripling. Ross, how how are you? How's it going, man? What's up, guys? Doing good. How are y'all? Doing pretty how good. Just getting by, good. quarantine and everything. What have you yeah. been up to in your quarantine, man? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, basically the same as everyone else, right? Watching TV and and passing the time, going on walks around the neighborhood, that kind of stuff. I'm still able to get all my baseball stuff done in the morning, you know, so staying in shape and throwing bullpens, working out, all that stuff. But, you know, I'm usually home by noon and just have the rest of the day ahead of me to do nothing. So uh, <laughs> hanging in there, uh, staying busy any way I can. But, uh, yeah, definitely ready for baseball to be back as soon as it can. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, what are some things you've been working on this offseason, uh, given the unique circumstances? Have you been able to keep up your your throwing form and everything? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can't really attest to other cities and, and players that are elsewhere, but the group of guys that I have here in Houston, uh, we're able to really kind of keep it going as if we're in the middle of a normal offseason. You know, normally we work out in groups of like six to eight, so all we do is we've cut the size of those groups, you know, down to like two or three. And, um, you know, we're still able to throw off the mound. Like I said, I threw a bullpen today, in fact. And, um, you know, so baseball-wise, man, we're staying in shape just because a lot of people think it's going to be a shotgun call, like middle of the night, be like, hey, it's go time. You know, pack your crap and come back to Arizona. And, <laughs> uh, you know, hopefully it's sooner than later. But, yeah, as far as what I'm working on right now, it's it's more of just, uh, you know, kind of keeping strength is, is kind of the biggest issue right now because even though – you know, you can't really get in the weight room every day because of the quarantine stuff. So I'm kind of doing two full body workouts a week as opposed to when in a normal off season you lift like four or five times a week. So I'm trying to get out of the weight room is, uh, because that just seems like a good spot for germs to hang out, right? Yeah. yeah a place where a virus would be. So uh, maintaining strength has probably been the toughest part of this whole thing. But um, as far as playing catch and pitching and throwing off the mound, it's actually been about the same. Yeah. So like a follow up to that. So if they were to randomly announce like we're going to resume uh, games, how, how how long do you think like a spring training like 2.0 would have to take in order to for yeah. the starters to build up those innings? Yeah, good question. I've kind of said about three weeks. I just think, you know, I think it depends on how much kind of leeway they give us on the schedule. Right. If they come out and say like in the next week that it's say fourth of July opening day. Well, we have all the time in the world to get going. Right. But if they come out and say like, Hey, we're we're shooting for May twenty second opening day. It's gonna be like, oh my gosh, you know, let's get this thing going. But in a perfect world, as quick as they could go, I think starting pitchers would need about three weeks. I think that gives you around four starts. You can go, you know, t- two, three, four, five innings and seventy five pitches, and you're you're good to go. I just we can't we can't expect you know starters to only get up to like three or four innings and and expect bullpens to throw six innings of every game for those first couple of weeks while starters are getting built up. I just think that's asking too much of bullpens. Guys will get hurt. Uh, we might as well take an extra week to 10 days to get starters built up a little bit more and then get going. Yeah, for sure. 
I miss baseball so much that I created a my player on MLB video game, and I've been just playing my player mode, just grinding. There's nothing <laughs> else to do. <laughs> Is he in the big leagues yet? No, nah, no, nah, I'm in Double A. I just started it last night. Is he a hitter or a pitcher? Pitcher. I I started a hitter a couple years ago when I had the game, and then I just got back on it yesterday. And you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna start pitching. I always hit, so yeah. I've never done that mode as a pitcher it just you know i never get to hit and i stink at hitting when i do uh so it's way more fun to make a hitter on those video games where i can actually uh hit some tanks and stuff it's uh i think it's way more fun oh yeah yeah i maxed out my hitter so i kind of got bored of that so i saw where you had been working on both uh your curveball and changeup during spring training uh so i'm sure you've had time to work on those so how are they how are those coming along yeah, they're good. You know, the changeup was kind of the story of the spring for me. I, I did, um, you know, it, it, it probably got overkilled a little bit in the media. For All I did was change my grip. Like, I've thrown changeup since I was in college. It's not like this is a new pitch. All I did was um, basically you, nowadays with the analytics, you know, you got TrackMan and the thing called Rapsodo, if you know what that is, which tells you exactly how your ball is spinning, what axis it's on, what kind of horizontal and vertical movement it has. And my changeup from the last few seasons was was basically not spinning on a on a good quality axis that a changeup should be spinning on. I wasn't getting a lot of depth to it. It was running, and from my arm angle where I throw so far over the top, uh, it should have more depth to it, right? Which is you know downward movement. So you know from the kind of first day I got to spring training throwing bullpens, we were really focusing on my changeup with that rap soto. So we did a completely different grip and saw some early success with it as far as what the numbers were spitting at spitting out but i couldn't throw it consistently i mean i would throw a perfect one and we'd be like heck yeah this is awesome and i'd throw 245 feet you know so we were trying to get it more consistent and um and i was just i mean i was you know if i threw 20 pitches in an outing 10 of them were change-ups like i was just working way too hard on it but i was trying to get it to a place where i trusted it and uh, right where i was starting to get comfortable with it uh, all this quarantine, you know, coronavirus stuff hit, but it, it feels good, um, you know, but I won't really, really know until I face hitters again, which hopefully is soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of quarantine, something you're probably able to do during it is your podcast, uh, Big Swing. Uh, I love it, man. It's a great podcast, so everybody be be sure to go follow his podcast. Uh, I wanted to ask you about that and how, that, how that's been going, man. It's been a lot of fun. So my buddy that I do it with, his name is Cooper is so passionate about the podcast game and he used to talk about it like crazy and I just never really gave podcasts a shot uh, when I would be commuting or riding around in the car or running whatever I just listened to music and he's like you got to give podcasts a try and started listening to Pardon My Take and um, uh, a bunch of different ones. Revisionist History is one that I really like just kind of mixing it up and uh, fell in love with podcasts and we just kind of d- decided to start one on on our own and with the network of you know baseball players that I have and especially just the superstars in my locker room alone uh, we've been able to get some great guests in the baseball world and you know we try and branch out as much as we can but it's definitely baseball centered podcast and we've we've enjoyed it man we I think we just did our 65th episode so I've been doing it a little over a year now and just keep uh keep plugging away and we're having as you guys know it's hard it's not easy to yeah. sync up everyone right i mean there's three of y'all uh trying to sync up everyone's schedules i mean right now it's easy with quarantine but you know other than that it's it's tough and uh you know there's a lot more behind the scenes that goes into it as far as editing audio putting it up on the platforms all that kind of stuff so it's 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 hard work but we've enjoyed it awesome oh, oh yeah i'm the editing editing guy i know all about that <laughs> yeah so <laughs> cooper 
I'm so lucky, man. Cooper's so passionate about the tech, you know, technical side of it. We get done and I just get to go, you know, about my day and he sits there for another hour editing it and all that kind of stuff. I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful I have him because it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so there's been some recent talks about uh, kind of playing the season uh, in like centralized locations such as Arizona and uh, Florida. So like if that were to be the case, how do you think that would impact um, some of the things like um, like the weather and the park factors and stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it would it would be so different. Right. You know, you think about uh, two or three at the, the most recent proposal I, I saw had Texas in the mix as well. So you think yeah. about sending 10 teams to each state. A lot of those states, a lot of the parks in those states have roofs, right? So weather won't be a factor, um, especially in Arizona when it's 120 degrees. You're not going to have guys out there, you know, passing out in the middle of the fifth inning or whatever. Um, it, it'll be interesting. You know, obviously we, we want to play in our hometown parks in front of our hometown fans if possible, if we can put fans in the stands. You know, that's that's what baseball is about, and that's why we play the game, and, and that's what makes it so fun. Being a Major League Baseball player, especially a Dodger, like we have 50,000 people a night that come watch us play. There's no one else in Major League Baseball that can say that besides the Dodgers. Um, you know, but if, if a proposal like that is what it takes to get baseball on the field, then obviously that's what we're going to do. And... You know, it's just kind of crazy to think about playing Major League Baseball in front of zero fans. And if you're a Los Angeles Dodger and we're playing in Houston, Texas, <laughs> you know, or Dallas or or Phoenix, it's just it just sounds goofy. But, you know, this this are crazy times. And if that's what it takes, then, you know, obviously baseball players are up for doing it. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So how much of an impact is there? Or that do certain catchers play as a part of your performance, like depending on which guys behind the plate, does that have an, have an effect on you all at all? Yeah, good question. You know, uh, I think it depends on who you ask big time. You know, some pitchers have big time preferences on who they, you know, prefer to catch them. If you think about A.J. Ellis, you remember that name. I mean, he was Clayton Kershaw's catcher. Uh, for eight or nine seasons, maybe even more than that. You know, it just some guys just have more chemistry with certain catchers. Um, for me, I don't see much of a difference. For one, I've been extremely lucky. Every catcher that I've had has been very, very talented, very on the ball as far as scouting and an unbelievable receiver. I mean, Yasmani Grandal was as good as anyone. Austin Barnes might be the best that there's ever been. Uh, Will Smith is certainly up and coming and going to be a phenomenal catcher for a long time in the big league. So I'm really, really lucky. And for me, I, I, I really dive into scouting reports and our catchers do too. So, you know, 30 minutes before I'm going to head outside, I'll sit down with the catcher and be like over the entire lineup, even guys that are on the bench, we'll put a plan together for each hitter. So we know exactly what we're doing out there as far as a scouting report. And then, you just kind of develop chemistry as you go, you know, and I've, I've been lucky to have basically the same catchers over, over the course of many years where as I throw bullpens in spring training throughout the year on, you know, if I'm going up in the zone with a fastball, I can tell them exactly where I want that target. You know, don't stand up. I want you to stay crouched, but put the target at your face mask uh, or go up higher. If we have two strikes on my curveball, if I'm throwing it for a strike, give me a little bit of a higher target. If it's two strikes, give me a little bit of a lower target. That's stuff that you figure out as you go. And, um, you know, if you're, you know, have the same catcher for over the course of years of seasons, then, you know, that you can get more and more in depth on exactly what you want. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk to you about college, man. Texas A&M. 
Uh, tell me about that experience and how they helped, you know, develop your game and how that organization prepared you for the majors. Yeah, you know, uh, man, that's a long, long story. I'll try and give you the spark notes if I can. <laughs> I walked on at Texas A&M and I was so green, man, so naive and just didn't, I'd only been pitching for basically a high school season. I didn't know anything about pitching. Um, I had this really short stride. I threw from this really high arm angle and I remember thinking they're going to change me. They're going to, you know, make me do things that uh, I've never done before. And Coach Childress, who's still there, is the head coach and pitching coach at Texas A&M. And he saw me and let me be unique and let me stay the person that I am. He never told me to drop and drive. I don't use my legs very well. You know, most pitchers say you're supposed to use your legs way more than I do. But that's not me. I stand up tall and I fall down the slope and I throw from the sky. And that gives me angle on my fastball and my curveball. And, uh, and that's my strength and that's what he worked with. And from there, man, every year you just get bigger, stronger. You learn how to dive into hitters, more read swings. Uh, you learn to trust your stuff. You may add pitches to your arsenal as you go, which I did. I added a change up, uh, my sophomore year and then added a slider kind of right when I got into professional baseball and you just learn to use your stuff and throw different things in different counts and not be predictable. And what I really learned at A&M is just how to be a competitor, which is kind of college in general. Yeah, you develop as a pitcher, but most colleges, they're running you into the ground, oh, yeah. uh, you're learning to be a man, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you, you learn that you're going to get thrown out to the fire and it's your job to get better and, and learn how to survive certain situations. And that's what you learn in college is just how to compete. And, uh, man, I loved it. I, I went back for my senior year for a reason. I loved playing in college, and I loved being an Aggie and really proud of the degree and, and the time that I spent there. But, uh, you know, obviously really happy with, with where I am, and it's a big thank you to what my coaches and, and teammates did for me at A&M. Absolutely, yeah. It sounded like it. it was awesome, man. Yeah, loved it. Did you guys go to Kentucky? Uh, I went to Georgetown College, which is right outside of Lexington, Kentucky. Um, okay. That's where I went. I go to Purdue I, currently. I Purdue. Tra I out, yeah, I traveled out of state. So, so uh, Bueller's a – well, yeah, yeah we, got, we got Kentucky yeah. guys all through our team. We got uh, Bueller. We got, yeah, we got Bueller. We got Will Smith. Uh, we got a bunch of Vanderbilt guys. Yeah, so we got uh, – we're, we're close to you guys. Yeah, baseball is pretty big in Kentucky. I mean, there's a lot of – especially, you know, like uh, high school baseball. I feel like – that level is really big particularly and like that just level of sports here like everybody's going to games you know the all the whole town will fill up you know the high school stadium and watch games it's crazy yeah that's awesome yeah so uh, uh going through the draft process uh walk me through that what was that like uh you got drafted twice so what was it like hearing your name called each time and kind of how'd you know like what was the moment like how surreal was it yeah the first time was interesting because I was a junior and no one was really talking to me. I didn't know if I was going to get drafted. I didn't really, um, I didn't really understand the process at all, man. And all of a sudden, I'm we're playing in a regional, and then we finish up. And I come in and check my phone, and I saw I got drafted in the ninth round by the Rockies. And I was just like, hey, that's awesome! Like, that's <laughs> you know, really, really cool. And uh, it's just probably more of me just being naive and and not even totally understanding what was going on around me. And I remember that Rocky scout comes and sits in my, in my, uh, in my family room at my parents' house. 
and t- you know saying like all right we're going to send you to Casper Wyoming you're going to go to rookie ball and we're just you know we're going to make your way through we see you as a polished college pitcher you got a chance to move fast all the stuff and I was like hey man I'm going back to school <laughs> and he was like what <laughs> you know and he was not happy with me at all and uh so I go back to school for my senior year get my degree and um and yeah, play another season of baseball, obviously, and get drafted by the Dodgers in the fifth round. And and that was the first year of the new draft rules where the top 10 rounds had a slotted amount of money that you could spend. And no one really knew how to treat college seniors yet. Some teams were picking up on it, you know, where you could sign a college senior in the second round where the slot is a million bucks and pay him $10,000. And that saves you, you know, 900 plus thousand dollars to spend on your 10th round high school kid later. So they didn't totally know what all they could do with these new draft rules. So I was getting calls in the second round from teams saying like, hey, if we draft you here, will you sign for 50 you know, for $50,000. And I was like, yeah, of course, like I'm going to go play and and give professional baseball a chance. But then I didn't get drafted or didn't get drafted by those teams. Those rounds pass you by. And then the fifth round comes around and I'm kind of like, you know, I had all these calls with these other teams saying they were going to draft me high to save some money. That didn't happen. Hadn't talked to a Dodger scout ever. Didn't know anything about the Dodgers. And all of a sudden I hear my name on this little radio, you know, MLB radio that we're listening to through my dad's laptop. And uh, we just go crazy, you know, like, yeah, this is awesome. Or like, we got to go. We went, instantly went to Lids, bought a Dodger hat. Um, you know, you get a call from a, a scout that just says, like, we're happy to have you. And, and it just happens really fast. And it's exciting. Anytime you can hear your name get, you know, called in a major league draft, how awesome is that? But, uh, yeah, it, it goes by quick. But certainly a memory, you know, with my family and all that that made it really special. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I got to ask. How did you get the nickname Chicken Strip? Is that, yeah. is that a real thing? You know, <laughs> you just eat, you just eat a lot of chicken. Like, what, 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 what's that? no, no, actually, far from it. I've never been a chicken tender or, or a buffalo wing or anything kind of guy. That's not never been me. But you know, with the last name Stripling, obviously, you're gonna get a lot of nicknames from it. And uh, I've been called Chicken Strip a little bit, but very sparingly uh most of the time it's strip stripper strip club you know whatever more <laughs> so yeah uh, in the first year of the players weekend you know where we put the nicknames on our backs uh they came and asked me you know what do you want your nickname to be and i said well let's do strip club and they submitted it to mlb mlb came back and said no that's not appropriate and I said, okay how about stripper same thing came back no that's not appropriate and it's like all right well i don't want to just do strip i think we can get a little bit more creative so we started thinking and we came up with chicken strip and man it caught on like wildfire i mean more people <laughs> more people yell that for me to me from the stands than they yell my real name i mean it i we got i go to fan fest every year people just yell chicken strip chicken strip. <laughs> uh, it comes up in interviews like this all the time and i i love it it's it's fun it's very unique uh so i'm gonna keep rolling with it hey maybe you can get like a deal out of it get some free chick-fil-a or free canes or something yeah, I'm working on that. I'm trying. Yeah. Well, maybe I got to maybe I got to pitch a little better and then maybe it can happen. <laughs> All right, man. I got a, I got a crazy question for you. This is what we ask everybody. It's pretty intense, so you better get ready for this one. I'll put it in per, uh, perspective for you. So, say you're out and about, you're on a drive, maybe on a road trip. Uh, you're getting a little rumble in your tummy, but you couldn't eat a full meal. You know, you just need a little pick-me-up. So, you stop at a gas station. I want to know what your go-to gas station snack is. Yeah, so if it's if I'm on a drive, like if I'm like going, you know, let's say from Texas to Arizona for spring training, 
Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sunflower seeds for sure. I love spits, cracked pepper, sunflower seeds, or dill pickle. Sometimes you can even mix them, mix them <laughs> all in the same bag, shake them up. Uh, those are good. Um, I love Sour Patch Kids. I'm not a big candy guy. I'm not a big chocolate guy. I don't eat a lot of sweets. But anything like a Sour Patch Kid or like those Sour Worms or uh, Airhead Extremes from back in the day, you guys might be too oh, young. Yeah. Airhead Extremes. I, I know what you're talking about. Those, those are great. That's the kind of candy I can just, I mean, I'll eat it till my tongue goes numb, you know, and then you regret <laughs> for three days because your tongue hurts and you got those sores in your mouth. But yeah, Sunflower Seeds and Sour Patch Kids, those are the go-to. Nice. Solid, solid. <laughs> uh, so throughout your career, uh, you've kind of been used as both a reliever and a starter. Um, so kind of uh, what are, what's the differences between the two roles and kind of do you have a preference towards one? Are you partial? Yeah, I want to be a starter. You know, okay. I just think my arsenal fits better as a starter, as a guy that, you know, I don't throw very hard. I'm 90-91, but I throw four pitches in any count, in any situation, and I think that makes me unpredictable, and I think that gives me a chance to get guys out more than once. So I just think I fit better as a starter, and it's just what I want to do. But don't get me wrong, I'll happily pitch in the big leagues as a bullpen guy. Uh, I've done it. I think I've made a nice little niche role for myself here as kind of a hybrid guy with the Dodgers, and I think they value that role a lot and the ability to come in and bridge the starter to the back end of the bullpen, you know, maybe go two, maybe two plus innings, go a full time through the lineup. If I have to, and um, I'm, and I'm proud of, to be able to do that. There's not a lot of guys that can do that and do it with a smile on their face. Um, but if I had to pick, I would definitely pick being a starter. And as far as the difference, man, they're totally different. You know, out of the bullpen, you got to have your best stuff from the first pitch, and you got to be out there basically pissed off and and ready to attack from the very first pitch and as a starter you can kind of go out there and, and feel it out a little bit like maybe my curveball is not really there in the first inning I'll keep throwing them in certain counts find it that way by the second third inning it's ready and, and there to face anybody if that if it's not there out of the bullpen man you bag it and you go to option b and you get yeah. guys out any way you can so they're just different mindsets and um and they're both a lot of fun in different ways and and i, I enjoy both of them but if i had to pick i'd want to be a starter Nice, solid choice, solid choice. Uh, so if let's say you're you're in a count three two, right? You need to get yeah. this guy out. What's your go-to strikeout pitch? I want to know like style, placement, everything. I'm sure Mike Trout isn't listening. It's okay. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. I can't get Mike Trout in it out anyways. Um, <laughs> uh, man, there's so much that goes into it as far as who the hitter is and what's working that day. And I don't want to get too technical, so I'll get, I'll keep it broad. Uh, let's say, all right, three, two righty up. Um, and, and my curveball has been good that day. It's going to be a curveball probably 75% of the time. And with how much break I have on my curveball, all I'm focusing on is throwing it for a strike. Um, so when I'm throwing my curveball for a strike, what I'm thinking is I'm aiming, typically aiming at the umpire's mask and I'm throwing it as hard as I can on a line towards the umpire's mask. I want it to travel 55 feet before it breaks, right? So a hitter thinks it's a, basically a fastball, maybe belt high, belly button high, and it's going to go 55 feet and then it's going to break down into the strike zone. That's what I'm thinking there. Um, that may not be as creative and, and sexy of an answer as you were hoping for, but um, you know, a three-two quality curveball is going to be tough to do much damage on. Love it. 
Uh, follow up to that. I've noticed that you've really stopped throwing your uh, splitter as much. Uh, is there any reason for that? Well, I don't want to correct you, but I've never thrown a splitter. Wait, so uh, my guess is you're thinking cutter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, cutter was my bread and butter for about two, maybe two plus seasons. Uh, it was. It's just such a good pitch to use on lefties. Uh, you know, if, especially you can keep it kind of up in the zone. You can really run it in off the barrel where it gets in on their hands and get a lot of soft contact. It's an awesome pitch. Oh, oh, to aggressive hitters. One, one, two, one, two, oh, you know, you want to swing and you want soft contact there. The idea of is it looks like a fastball for 60 feet and then it just breaks ever so slightly in on their hands. Um, and the reason I kind of bagged it was I think a lot of other pitchers around the big league started throwing cutters. And I think lefties, you know, those are the best hitters in the world. They adjusted quickly. And the cutter just didn't work as well as it used to against lefties. There's still places to use it and guys that it really does work on. But in general, most lefties really started to look for that cutter in on their hands and figured out how to keep it fair and do damage on it. And um, that's kind of part of the reason I really started focusing on my changeup. I wanted to be unpredictable and change up my arsenal. And uh, I know that cutter's always there. So if they start reacting to my changeup, I'll just start throwing cutters again. And that's kind of what pitching is, right? Just keeping guys off balance. Yeah, for sure. So I got to ask you about 2018, man. Being being an all-star, what was that whole experience like? Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, it, it really was. I'm, I'm really, really proud of that season. In a, in a year where a lot of guys were getting hurt, Kershaw, Rich Hill, um, you know, basically our whole starting five went on the on the DL, and that's when I got my opportunity to be a starter again. I spent the whole year in 2017 in the bullpen, so it kind of lit a fire in my belly to, to really take advantage of that opportunity, and, and um, you know, that's some of the best pitching I've ever done in my career for sure and made it to an all-star game and, and um, you know, regrettably took the loss in that game. Uh, just kind of circumstances that were crazy. I had to go back out for an inning that I didn't know I was going to pitch. And and uh, that's the way it goes. But looking back, how cool it was, man. We, we flew through the middle of the night from L.A. to Washington, D.C. Uh, you do a parade. You know, you get to show off your wife. She gets all dressed up. I get all dressed up. We walk the red carpet. And then you watch the Home Run Derby. Muncie put on a show. Bryce Harper ends yeah. up winning it at home, you know, in his last season yeah. in Arsenal's uniform. Pretty cool. And um, and then just to see how the best players in the world go about their business and to pick their brains a little bit. You know, I got to sit and eat lunch with Scherzer, DeGrom, Bryce Harper, Arenado, Charlie Blackman, like guys that are normally my enemies and just kind of be their buddies for 48 hours. Uh, it was really, really cool and something I'll never forget and an experience that, um, you know, I'm just really, really grateful for and proud of and uh, hopefully get another chance sometime. Definitely. I'm sure I'm sure you will, man. You're killing it. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, so I'll ask you, actually, I'll ask you again, um, about your minor league experience, man. How was that like? Was it, you know, like a dog fight, like that everybody talks about, you know, how was that? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I, I spent a year and a half of it rehabbing a Tommy John. So I got drafted, went straight to rookie ball in Ogden, Utah, which I loved. It's, it's definitely a hitter's league. The ball flies thin air up there in Utah and Montana, Colorado, but, um, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that league. I was on an inning limit. I think otherwise I would have probably moved up to low A or high A, but I was on an inning limit, so they just kept me there, which was fine. I enjoyed that summer. Uh, the next year started in high A, made only four or five starts there, and then moved up to double A. That was 2013. 
and had a really, really good first year in AA and uh, actually got invited to big league camp, my second spring training, and that's where I tore my UCL. So I spent all of 14 and half of 15 on the DL rehabbing a UCL, which was tough. I, I thought that I was getting close to making the big leagues. Like I said, I was in big league spring training around the likes of you know Kershaw, Josh Beckett, uh, some you know unbelievable pitchers for the first time in my career, and then uh, to have a Tommy John really really stunk. But uh, came back 14 months later and uh, pitched well. And, and really, man, the minor leagues is interesting. You know, you kind of touched on it, asking if it was a dogfight. It it is because winning doesn't matter. You know, like they yeah. they kind of say like, yeah, winning matters. We want to win. Of course, you want to win. But it's so much about development, and there's a lot of, you know, I don't want to talk smack about other players, but I was like it too. You're, you're selfish. Like you want to be the best because you want to move up and you want to look better than your teammates, yet you also want everyone to perform well because they're your friends and you want to win baseball games. But, you know, if, if your buddy goes out and pitches, you know, six innings, one run the night before, you want to go six shutty because you want to one-up them and you want to be the guy that moves up to AAA or whatever. So – that aspect is weird, and then making it to the big leagues is a lot of fun because then you really, really focus on winning again, like at college, you know, where where winning is the only thing that matters, and it's it's so much fun. And, uh, yeah, looking back on my minor league experience, I loved it. I got to play a lot of states around Texas. I was in the Texas League in AA, and then um, the Southern League a little bit in AA too, which is a really – that's out kind of near you guys. That's like uh, – Tennessee and and uh, you go to Florida and uh, Chattanooga was such a cool city. That's where I, I played my first year of Double A with the Lookouts. Was such a fun, fun town and fun league, man. I, I love my minor league experience. It was a lot of fun. So I have very strong opinions on this next subject. But what is your personal opinion about pitchers being required to bat in the in, in the NL, but AL they get a DH? Yeah, I get asked this all the time. You know, I like the parity between the leagues. I think it, you know, it's cool to have the difference of, of you know, the National League and the American League and the DH and the pitchers hitting. I think it's cool to create the difference. Uh, obviously, there's been guys get hurt. You know, I think Wainwright missed an entire year when he got hurt hitting. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, now my teammate, basically took two years off or trying to rehab because of sliding back into first base, basically tore everything in his shoulder. So there's examples you can look at and say, like, you know, why are these guys hitting? Like, you guys watch us hit. It's pretty ugly. You know, there's not a lot of people <laughs> coming to National League games to watch the pitchers hit, right? But as a pitcher, man, I like pitching to the pitcher. I can look back to countless scenarios where I had guys on – you know, second and third, one out, and the pitcher up, and I get a strikeout and get out of the inning on the next guy. I mean, it, it's paid it dividends to me quite a bit of times. Um, you know, so I certainly like pitching to the pitcher, but I understand the argument of, of you know, it's it's not fans don't come to watch us hit. Um, guys get hurt doing it. DHs. I mean, heck, think about David Ortiz. You know, we're we're robbing. 15 other teams from having the potential to have a David Ortiz on their roster, you know, guys that can really, really hit, but just can't necessarily play a position very well, but can change a franchise. Um, you know, so I'm kind of fine either way. I'm not really passionate one way or another. I just like saying I enjoy pitching to the pitcher because it's usually a free out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so one topic I wanted to touch on uh, that I'm personally curious about um, is the fact about the rumors of the juice ball. Um, have you had any experiences that made you think that the seams were changed or anything was different about the baseball last year? Well, yeah, you know, it's, I think you can just, you can just tell, right. I mean, it, it, 
guys are bigger and stronger than they've ever been. There's no doubt about that. Like, it's natural to think that home runs would be up, plus pitchers are pitching up in the zone, fastballs up in the zone are easier to hit as home runs. It's typically warmer, right? A whole global warming thing. If you want to get into that, it's hotter. Ball flies when it's hotter. All these things you can point to that say home runs are up. But should they be up as much as they are? I don't I mean, the tri- AAA started using big league balls last year, and they set a new home run record by, like, the All-Star break, right? So it seems like something's up. Uh, since this quarantine thing went down, I've been playing catch with Scott Casimir. If you guys remember that name, he pitched in the big leagues for 10-plus years. He whipped out some baseballs from his last season with the A's, which was like 2015 or 16. And um, and we were just, whole, and I brought mine home from this spring training, 2020 balls, some uh, 2019 balls mixed in there. And you can feel the difference. Like these new balls, they're denser, they're harder, and they feel like they'll just absolutely fly far. Like if you were to throw them up and hit them, they would fly twice as far as these 2016, 15 balls, which just feel a little squishier, they're yeah, lighter. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, there's a difference. I can't, you know, really pinpoint a time where it's like, yeah, that ball was juice. There's no way that should be out. But there's certainly times, you know, where you a ball would get hit and you're like, ah, oh, that's, you know, to the warning track and it would be like 10 rows deep. And you're like, okay, you know, something's up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to ask you, who do you think are some guys that you've played with or even against that you've looked up to or have helped develop your game? You've learned a yeah, lot sure. from yeah, no, I mean, the first one is is undoubtedly Clayton Kershaw. Uh, just being around him, you get better. Uh, nobody works harder, is more dedicated, um, cares more. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable to see. I mean, day in and day out, just works his tail off. Um, it's it, unbelievably impressive. And I've learned a lot from him, mostly as just uh, how to go about your business and how to work hard and how to get ready every fifth day. And, um, yeah, definitely grateful to be his teammate and, and to have spent the time around him that I've had. Watching this Michael Jordan documentary reminds me a lot of Clayton Kershaw, like just competitive, demands the best of his teammates, and works his butt off. I mean, it's, it's you know, you see guys all the time that are just really good, and they're just better than everyone, and that's the way it is. Uh, but a lot of times those guys don't have, you know, they've never had to work hard. They're just better than everyone. Kirsch yeah, yeah. is better than everyone, and he works his tail off. It's it's absolutely incredible. Um, other than that, you know, man, I'm so lucky to just have – I mean, I have a locker room of all-stars, right? We were thinking about this in spring training once we added Mookie and David Price. I mean, it's unbelievable. We have like a National League all-star roster sitting in our locker room. Uh, oh, yeah. You oh, can yeah. pick and choose from different guys. Justin Turner's been a big help too just as far as um, – you know, learning. He he was a good veteran to look up to when I was a rookie. He he hazed, but in the right way. You know, he taught you how to be a big leaguer and, and uh, what it takes to survive 162 games. I've I've just been really lucky. But Kirsch Kirsch and Justin Turner, you know, certainly are the ones that have helped me the most. Y'all have got to get over that World Series hump because y'all have came <laughs> so close to the past, two of the past three years. Well, teams keep cheating against us, man. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, yeah, it, you can go ahead and ask your question now. <laughs> uh, so do you have like a wild or strange experience behind the scenes, like off the field? Maybe a, maybe a fan interaction that that's kind of just out there like, whoa, how did that just happen? Or <laughs> Yeah, good question. Um, you know what? I get asked questions like these all the time. 
and I don't remember in real time. And then I'll be like driving. I'll be like, that's what I got to answer to that question. I need to start like writing them down. People always ask me like, what's your hidden talent? You know, and I can never remember what it is. And then I have to like write it down. Um, <laughs> on this one, man, what I usually answer is uh, when people hand me their babies. You know, like they don't ask you to sign their babies or whatever. They'll be like, hey, will you take a picture with my kid? And you're like, yeah. And you pose for a picture and then they try and like physically hand you their baby. And you're just like, no, like I don't even have kids yet. I'm not comfortable holding your, you know, two year old kid. <laughs> Those are the ones that usually make me a little, a uh, little, I don't know, iffy. But uh, for the most part, man, you know, fans, they're not bad. Uh, you know, we get to go play in San Francisco a bunch of games a year. They'll usually get pretty rowdy and yell some stuff at you. They're our biggest rivals. But uh, same with like Philly. Philly fans are crazy. Um, you know, but I don't, I, I apologize. I can't think of one that just got like totally out of hand. Well, since you brought it up, do you have any like secret hidden talents? Can you move your yeah, ears without question. touching them? Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, uh, my wife tells me I'm not allowed to do the one that I want to do so bad. So you know how like you can stick your hand in your armpit and make like the farting noise? Yeah. I can do it with my knees. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe some other time I'll show you off camera, but my wife told me I'm not allowed to do it on camera anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anymore. Have you done it before yeah. on camera? Yeah, I've done it enough to where it needs to stop. <laughs> I can do that too, though. I'm not. I'm not embarrassed. I can do it. Yeah, it may not. Even, maybe most people can. Maybe most people are just too embarrassed to do it, so you don't see it that often. But uh, yeah, I. Uh, that's usually what I say, just because it's funny. All right, so we got a couple more, and then we'll wrap it up and let you go. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch on that I found rather fascinating was the fact that you're a licensed stockbroker. Yeah. Um, so you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So. I studied finance in college. I had two grandfathers that were very active in the stock market, my dad as well. Uh, so when I got to college, I really wanted to study business and found that accounting wasn't for me at all. So I made my way into the finance world and really fell in love with the stock market. And then when I had my Tommy John in 2014, I didn't necessarily know, you know, what your baseball career would look like once you get back from that. Yeah, you know, most people say it's got a 90% plus return rate, but you don't know that, and I had all this free time on my hands, so I um, actually got in with a bank called B. Riley, who has a wealth management wing, and they sponsored me to take these two giant tests uh, called the Series 7 and the Series 66. They're both like 300, 400 multiple choice questions, and uh, passed them both after studying hard for them, and that makes me a licensed man money manager, licensed stockbroker, where I can actually get clients, they can give me their money, I can give advice, and I can manage their money in the stock market. And it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. I mean, heck, these are as most volatile of times that um, that I've ever that we've ever seen, right? I mean, we went, we dropped over 30% from all-time highs, and now we've gotten like 20-something percent of it back, and it's just been crazy volatile. So, you know, this is a good time to learn and a good time to invest. It's always a good time to invest, really. The market is efficient, especially long term. Uh, but yeah, I love it. It's legalized gambling, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep that job for sure because I enjoy it. That's awesome. That's really cool. All right, we'll wrap it up after this one. Uh, plot twist: Everyone that dies of the corona turns into a zombie, and zombies <laughs> start invading Earth. And it's the apocalypse. So you can pick whatever weapon you want to defend yourself with. 
if you had to pick one, which one would it be? And then what group of people, guys, girls, cats, dogs, are you are you surrounding yourself with to survive with? Well, what kind of zombie are they like World War Z zombies or are they like Walking Dead zombies? You know, are they the kind oh, that's that, a, yeah. Are they the kind that's that game run changers. either like crazy or are they just kind of strolling nice and slow? I don't know, Josh. What do you think? Let's do both because those World War Z zombies are crazy. They, they were sprinting at people, jumping on people. Like, let's let's, yeah. let's go both. Let's go both. If 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 it's World War Z zombies, you gotta have, you know, a semi-automatic rifle of you know at minimum, because those things are coming at you twenty miles an hour and in mass force, right? Oh. Um, so that one I want. Yeah, I want semi-automatic weapons and I want like a tank, and <laughs> and I'm hanging out with you know. Marines, <laughs> seals, you know, like people that know what they're doing. I'm not messing with those kind of zombies. If it's World War Z zombies, uh, you know, the last thing you want to do is make noise. I mean, sorry, no, if it's Walking Dead zombies, well, really both, the last thing you want to do is is make noise. But I'm talking Walking Dead zombies now. I like, uh, and I watched that show, so I really liked Michonne, right, where she had, um, like, the sword, the... Yeah. Yeah. Man, what is that thing? It's like a it's like a double sided sword, yeah. and uh, maybe it's just a regular sword. Now that I think about it, I'm all over the place right now. I apologize. <laughs> um, uh, but I think with that, you want a quiet weapon, you know, like a machete uh, or something like that. And with that, uh, yeah, I want some dogs, big dog guy. I want like four Australian shepherds hanging out with me. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you kill a zombie, then you let the dog sniff the zombie, right? So he learns the scent. Now he, you know, now he can detect them. And we're getting deep here. Um, <laughs> or heck, I just watched Tiger King. Maybe I can get a couple tigers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. King, hey, King Ezekiel had a tiger in Walking Dead. You're right. That's that's like right when I stopped watching. I, uh, man, it, it just got that show got outrageous, and it was just the same thing over and over. But. Uh, yeah, good question. I don't know. What are you guys rolling with? Wow, I've never really thought of this. We've asked so many people this, but I've never actually <laughs> thought about it myself. Um, I, I love I love the swords, man. I, if I could have, like, two ninja swords, maybe, like, a belt of, like, grenades or something, gun on my back, I think that I, that's what I'd go with. Yeah, for sure. I want something that has, like, some, like, area damage, so, like, in case you get, like, outnumbered, that you can actually, like, combat, like, the number disadvantage. Oh, so yeah. like something like a flamethrower or something. Makes sense. Yeah. But does fire kill zombies? I don't think so. I think it's got to be something to the head. Like that's yeah, what I've always thought. It's, it's, okay. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. You need like, uh, you would need like a bomb that you could drop and it would just spray nails. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like of them, you would have to like drop the bomb, run away, give it like a five second detonation, nails everywhere. <laughs> yeah. If I could sure. get my... If I could get Michonne's, Michonne's sword, that's definitely what I'd be rolling with. I, I can't use a gun because I don't want to scavenge for ammo and run out of ammo, so I'm definitely using like a really long sword. Yeah, perfect, yeah. The, the only thing I worry about with that is do you get tired really quick, you know? Like he true, mentioned, if you get 10 of them around you, by the time you kill seven of them, are you just on the floor panting out of breath because you've had to throw that sword around 40 times? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, man. <laughs> be like a machete, cause a little smaller, lighter, yeah. equal damage. I don't that'd know. Be, that'd be sick. <laughs> All right, man. I think I think that does it. We really appreciate you coming on, man. And 
best of luck whenever the MLB season starts. I mean, you're going to kill it, man. Uh, just thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, guys. It's a lot of fun. Y'all keep up the good work. All right, yeah, man. We appreciate it. Thank you, man. Take yeah. it easy. Yeah, y'all too. See y'all. See ya. Yeah. See ya. Special thanks to Ross Stripling for coming on the podcast. We had a terrific time, and it was a really fun interview. Uh, be sure to check him out on social media. You can follow him on Instagram at Ross underscore Stripling with one P and on Twitter at Ross Stripling. He also has a podcast that we mentioned in the in the episode, so you can be sure to follow that podcast at Big Swing Podcast. And while you're at it, while you're following Ross's social media and his his podcast, you know, you can give us a follow, you know, follow your boys at FTS Pod on Instagram and at the FTS Pod on Twitter. And if you need to send us an email for any reason, if you want to say you love the interview with Ross Tripling, just feel free to shoot us an email to theftspod at gmail.com. Bye. Have a great time.